about to get outside with kids, the podcast where we help you have more fun adventures outside with your family. Today, we have a really fascinating guest coming on and she's talking to us about a topic that Jen and I know very little about, but she knows a lot about. Um, So, the guest is Linda Flanagan. She's a journalist, a researcher and a former cross-country and track coach. And Jen, She's got perspective for us on all these organized activities. You know, when you go to the park and you see a mum who you know there and they're like, oh, hey, how's it going? And because you don't really know them, you don't have much to talk about, except what activities is your kid doing? You know that conversation, right? Oh, yeah. I feel like this is super timely. Like literally today, the the schedule for winter sports was just released. Um, And I know that if we want to register for winter sports, we have to be logged on at like 8 a.m. tomorrow to get those sign-up spots because there's so much pressure to sign your kids up for sports these days. Um, And so Linda has an entire book about this, about dealing with the pressure and what kind of sports kind of what she calls it, like this kind of mania around sports that's happening for kids. Um, And for people like us, Kate and myself, who oldest children, children are only five, we're kind of in the thick of it. Uh, But Linda has lived through this with her children who are now in their 20s. um, And she's got some really great perspectives on just how do you balance this overwhelming pressure to put your kids in sports? Should we be doing it? Should we be doing more? Should we be doing less? How do you find that balance for your family? Spoiler alert, the answer might be right here in the title of our podcast, Get Outside With Kids. You can keep it simple. But we really love Linda's approach to this. We loved her advice and her experience um, and all the research she's done for this book. Everyone, we are excited to have Linda on the podcast here today, and we're really excited to dive into this book that Linda has written. Um, I reached out to Linda on Twitter because she's awesome, tweeting cool stuff all the time, and Linda's going to tell us where she can find us uh, on Twitter. So, Linda, we'd love for you to tell our guests a little bit about your book, Take Back the Game, How Money and Mania Are Ruining Kids' Sports and Why It Matters. Welcome to the podcast and share with us about the book. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Well, the book was inspired by my years coaching. I've coached um, girls cross country and track for 17 years and my experiences as a parent of young kids who are now older and just kind of observing the milieu that sports were, uh, that they were involved in, in sports and which is very dominant where I live. I was contrasted with what I saw with how I experienced athletics growing up and how athletics remain vital to my life now. And I didn't like what I saw, but there was a disconnect between what sports are meant to be and what they're meant to do for a person, a young person, and what they were actually doing. And that kind of prompted the my thinking about it. And then I started writing some articles and you know, poked around, did a lot of research, and then the book came out of it. And the book is basically divided into three parts. The first is like, how did we get here? where sports are so dominant, youth sports, organized sports, dominant and intense. Also, like what are the kind of um, second part is about the paradoxes, like what really is a a way to challenge parents' assumptions about sports so that some of the things we assume aren't necessarily so. And then the third bit is about how to, what we can do about it. It's such a fascinating topic, Linda, and I think uh, I'd love to hear from you, you know, your experience with your own children who are now in their 20s versus maybe even your own experience because for some of us who might have grown up, you know, maybe the mania wasn't as intense around organised sports when Jen and I were children Um, and I also grew up in Australia where I think things are just slightly different than where you are in the US, but I'd love to hear that kind of perspective on like how things have sort of changed from your own experience experience with sports um, as you were growing up, what you saw with your children um, when they were younger, and now what you see in the world, because there's been so many massive shifts in that. 
Yeah. Well, when I was growing up, uh, sports were local, uh, kind of low key, cheap. I am a Title IX, a product of Title IX, which required that universities spend as much on women's sports as men to keep the opportunities equal in education, including sports, which most of us know triggered this on, you know, this flood of girls playing sports. And I was one of them. But when I, at, in the early days of Title IX, again, sports were cheap, organized stuff for girls. I started it right around sixth grade as soon as I could, because I loved sports and it was local, cheap, you know, it wasn't that I didn't care and my, my, I love to play and I love to practice, but I think we had one, maybe two practices a week and one game a week. And then I played for my school. So it was pretty, it was not privatized. It wasn't, I mean, there may have been clubs, but they weren't dominant in any way. It was just sort of, it was a part of life, um, not the centerpiece of my life. Then with my own kids, again, who are now in their 20s, really only one took part seriously. And he he had, by and large, a very good experience, but I felt a difference in how I um how I experienced sports, his sports, versus how I know my parents experienced mine, which was it felt too important to me. And I I could sense this in myself and it bothered me. I felt so irrationally happy when he played well and absurdly blue when he didn't. And it bothered me. And I knew <laughs> that it was insane and that, God, this is like a fourth grader playing basketball. And I just, so that bothered me. And I knew there was some kind of larger cultural issue at work. You know, it did work out well for him. And we were able to resist the private stuff for the most part. And we never spent a fortune on his athletics. And he had a great experience. In the last decade, really even since 2008, after the financial crisis, there's been a shift towards even more privatization um, of kids' sports, club sports uh, being offered and taken up by parents for younger and younger kids. So when my kids were young, yes, there were clubs and, and things of that nature, but they didn't start necessarily in second grade. Now there are travel programs for kids as young as, you know, eight years old, uh, travel sports that requires, you know, not a not an insignificant commitment on the part of the kids and the parents. That's a big change. I think, you know, Kate and I, my oldest is about to turn six, um, or may have just turned six, depending on when we air this. And already, uh, Kate and I have addressed on this podcast, the the pressure, you know, and, and Kate and I have been very clear where we're trying to navigate that line. And of course, we're weighing in with experts like yourself. But there's already so much pressure when I look at the six-year-old sports and the time commitment at the age of six for some of these sports already. Mm -hmm. Like you said, like a couple of practices a week and a weekend game. And I'm like, he's six. We just started kindergarten this year and we're still learning about school um in fact i feel like today's a great example my six month my five-year-old is actually home today um because he told me he was feeling really overwhelmed at school and he really wanted a day at home just to rest and would that be okay mommy um and i'm very fortunate that i work from home and so does my partner and i made the i was at that thing you know sometimes you want to push your kids to be like no you got to do school you got to go to all these things and i was like but he's five. And if he's feeling burnt out at five, like certainly we can take a day at home. Like we're, we're fortunate to have the ability to do that. But then I think about layering in sports two, three, four days a week at five and how we're, we're burning kids out so much earlier and so much faster. 
I'm originally from Ontario, which we've talked about a lot in this podcast, and Ontario has big hockey culture. It might be mm-hmm. similar to where you are um, on the eastern U.S. on the eastern U.S. as well, but. A lot of my parents who are, you know, friends back in Ontario, they're like, oh, yeah, if you don't start your kid in hockey at five or six, forget it. They will never be able to play with their friends at that kind of level because that's when you start them in hockey. And when you start them, they mean like you are starting them in hockey or getting into those private clubs because, like you said, by seven and eight, they're already traveling for sports, which is just seven. It's just so mind boggling (laughs) to me. It is. It is. I, I mean, you know, I think ice hockey. I don't have any ice hockey players in the family and I know that, but I know some families who are, and I, I think it's kind of its own special case of craziness. It's the most expensive that's, that makes the most demands. It's, it fires up emotions in people that, you know, are greater than you see in other sports, perhaps in, you know, it's an inverse relationship with how much you, you commit to it. Or not an inverse, a direct relationship. The more you spend, the more time, the more you care, the more passionate you are. If you're getting up at 4.30 to take your kids to practice, you're going to care more. Ah, 4.30! <laughs> <laughs> my, uh, my family on my husband's side is from Quebec and hockey is big there. And so some of our family are in that sort of, you know, they're, they're getting up and they're traveling with their 10 and 12-year-olds, you know, and they're, they're doing a lot of that. I'm just interested, Linda, in your research for the book here. Um, You know, one of the things that is used, I think, to sell parents on getting their kids into sports young is like exactly what Jen just said. Like, if you don't start them young, they're never going to be able to reach the highest level in their grade. They're never going to go on and join the professional league. Is that actually true? Is that a myth that we're being sold here so that we can get in and spend the money in sports early? Is that what's happening? Well, you know, there's a lot of debate about that among doctors in who are studying it. For the most part, however, it, it does vary somewhat by sport. In some sports where you have to be where proficiency is gained when you're pre-adolescent, when you haven't even gone through maturity, like Gym, some for some gymnastics, you know, where you where where being tiny is uh, prized. Then, in some of those kinds of sports, starting earlier and specializing young is going to result in better performance. There are trade offs. I should say, <laughs> obviously, there are big trade offs. <laughs> yeah. And um, for some of those kids who start early and specialize young they will get injured and quit and hate it. And, you know, with it will never amount to anything. So, you know, it, there's not like one answer for any, for any particular child, but with certain sports uh, where the specializing, specializing can help in those sports or can lead to more success at the age where success, the, the peak of the career is generally reached if they specialize earlier. In the majority of sports, that's not the case because, the body changes so much in adolescence. You know, you just, a child who's or 10 years old or 11 years old is going to be totally different when they're 15. And this is one of the pernicious aspects of early specialization and the pressure on kids to do it when they're so young is that if they're not great at nine, they can get discouraged and quit and say, I'm not good at this. I'm not good at baseball. I'm not good at soccer. I'm not good at hockey. I'm going to quit. Whereas if they were allowed to just continue playing and like a lower, maybe a little bit lower key, you know, twice a week, not five times a week, not traveling, then they might, by the time they're, they re- go through puberty, 
they can they'll really develop. They're like a different person at puberty, and th- and that's where the specialization is is so um, harmful because it discourages kids at younger ages before they've even had a chance to you know grow into their bodies, let alone decide what they actually want to do. Oh yeah, the gymnastics one's really interesting. I went to school in Australia with a gymnast who represented Australia at the Olympics. And I remember her famous story to us was that she got into gymnastics at 18 months old. And uh, there's there's not a lot of choice going on at 18 months. <laughs> you could and, say that. you know, she was, she was representing Australia from the age of like 14, 15, 16. Um, but then, of course, the career's over by the time you're like 20. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm interested then in what you say, you know, you're – you're saying that in the US in particular, the sort of national obsession with sports has increased the risk of both physical injury, but also mental health problems. Mm-hmm. What kind of mental health problems are you talking about there? Like how does participating in sport at a, at a young age or at any age in this kind of way contribute to mental health problems? Well, you know, we're obviously, I don't know if it's true in Canada, but we have a big mental health problem with our kids here in the US. And in fact, I was just doing looking up a, a study before I got on the podcast with you um, about phone use. And phone use, there's debate about that. Is that what's causing it? But there's a recent study indicating that that is one of the, that it's clear there was a big drop off in reported mental health issues. So after smartphones became so ubiquitous. So it's not strictly, you know, I don't want to say sports or the cause. Athletics and exercise are so generally so wonderful for mental health. I mean, movement is so good for kids, for adults, everyone. There's so much research about it. It's just that when it becomes, when it takes over someone's life, it becomes a great source of pressure, like, like your son Jennifer, um, who is feeling overwhelmed at school and doesn't doesn't want to go to soccer twice a week or whatever the sport was. It's this this layering of expectations and responsibilities on kids um, when they are already feeling pressure from maybe social media. Who who knows what else in our country? Like they're more worried about getting shot up in the classroom. It's just one one additional source of stress for kids and. You know, the more parents spend and the more devoted they get, the more pressure it it puts on the kids. And that's the rub here because parents get more and more involved and invested and then kids get that much more involved and invested. And they also, some of them kind of lose their sense of identity separate from their athletic selves. So if you've grown up being a gymnast since you were 18 months and suddenly your career ends at, in her case, she reached the pinnacle. We know that <laughs> that's a fingernails worth of people that reach the pinnacle of a sport. Most everyone else is going to have to stop at some point. Maybe they get injured. Maybe they're just sick of it. But then what do you do? Like, who are you? I think that's a real struggle for kids. The more they devote themselves to athletics at younger ages and an intense level, it leaves them kind of lost. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Um, on the podcast, we obviously talk a lot about getting kids outside into mm-hmm. nature, hence the name of the podcast. <laughs> it's and, kind of the title. And, it's built in. Kind of the idea. <laughs> um, and we've talked with a few other experts about um, like the balance of kind of structured play outside. Like you might be playing soccer outside. And so we've certainly got some benefits of the outside time there. But there's real benefits to unstructured time outside, just being allowed to play on the street with your friends or go for a walk in nature or whatever um, outside looks like in your community. And I think for me too, like 
the more time we sign up for these structured outside activities, we also are taking time away from unstructured time outside because to your point, these kids who are traveling and spending all of this time doing organized sports, do they ever get a down day to just yeah. go for a walk in the forest or just play ball hockey on the street with their friends casually? And I think we miss out on a lot of how we were raised where our playing sports time was like, here's some sticks, go play outside and come back, uh, you know, when it gets dark outside. And that's what a lot of my organized sports looked like when we were growing yes. up. Yes. Well, and, and I think many parents um, would rather not do the, some of the organized stuff. You know, they they want to have a more natural kind of organic athletic experience for their kids. But when every other child is out and there's no one left to play with when you're home, then it's like, what's the alternative? At least that's been my experience here that, you know, plenty of parents don't want to do this necessarily with their very young kids, but they feel like they have to. And there aren't, there aren't great alternatives. If the child doesn't have siblings who they can play with, or they don't live in a community where it's either it's safe or there's space to go out and play wiffle ball or whatever, then they kind of, they feel like they have no choice but to go to an organized thing. And, and if it's a low key thing, like, I mean, there are plenty of, well, at least where I live. And again, it's all dependent on where you live, I should add. But the rec programs like run by, in, in our case, like our WISE, Boys and Girls Clubs, like they can be really great for kids because they are around other kids and it's not high pressure and they pick up a few skills. I don't really see much harm in that. It's it's really when it gets serious. It's when it becomes competitive at a young age that is, I think that's when you really have to be careful. <laughs> that's, a, that's a really sad thought of those kids kind of left behind because everyone else has gone off to play sport. And it's I true. absolutely feel that pressure. You know, my kid, I put my kid in soccer just because I thought it was a thing that we do. And uh, she absolutely hated it. And also, <laughs> so did I, I, I absolutely hated it because I was standing outside in the Vancouver winter and fall. It was pouring with rain. It was miserable. And I thought, why right. are we like, look at what we're doing here. All these parents are standing motionless on the sidelines, shivering. Why? Like, why are we doing that? And like Jen said, what have we displaced from our lives to be there? Yes. I think thinking about the cost of these things too, you know, like sport is no longer something that is is cheap in a lot of cases. I mean, I saw it when I signed my kid up that one time for soccer and was like, never again. Uh, but, you know, there's the <laughs> uniform and there's the special events that happen. And then they're like, you can come to spring break camp. You can come back in the summer. What does that do for, for families who want to get their kid in, but they can't afford it? They're being like, surely the, the, as the costs increase, you're getting a demographic in there, which is really just people who can afford it. And it's getting yeah. more and more expensive. Well, that's just it. So our, the way we do sports, here and I assume it's some it's like this in Canada, or maybe to a lesser extent. It's you know we have like a class based system of sports participation because the more expensive it becomes, you know if you can't afford or you don't have the time. What if, what if you're a single parent? You can't be you know disappearing on the weekend to drive your child to some soccer tournament or um, you know tennis match. You, you if you can't you have neither the money or the time then you're not going to be able to do these things. So that just automatically excludes big, <laughs> a large chunk of the population who might be fabulous athletes themselves, you know, and it's very dependent on the sport. This is the trend with, with especially the expensive sports um, or the country club sports, as we call them like tennis and golf and 
I mean, ice hockey is not a country club sport, but it's certainly very expensive and there are just so many barriers to entry. So you're automatically leaving these kids out. And here in um, soccer is one of the prime examples of that in this country because it's really all club-based. The model for development is through clubs. It's not schools. It used to be through schools. And if you can't afford those clubs, if you can't get away every weekend and spend any extra funds on strength and conditioning coaches and, you know, the tur- the endless tournaments, then you're going to be left out. So you're automatically excluding a, um, a very large percentage of the population who might be actually great players and might love to play. So... Linda, I guess this is a, it's kind of a lot of bad news about sport, to be honest. And that's why we want to tap you on the podcast because, you know, we feel this pressure from other, other parents already and our kids are only five and three. We mm-hmm. have a lot of these, you know, people say, what are you, what's your kid into? Which gymnastics class are you sending your kid to? And I'm like, I'm not sending her to anything or I'm doing a thing at the rec center that's $4 a session. And that's all we're going to do for this, you know, semester or whatever. But if you're thinking about this and you're like, well, there are healthy ways, surely there are healthy ways to be involved in sport. As somebody with a lot of experience as a cross-country and track coach, what are some of those healthy ways we can encourage kids to get active in sports, but without kind of pushing it to this obsession kind of level? And what do you think worked with with your kids and with a lot of the girls who you coached through your coaching career? Well, I think I would always advise parents to start the organized stuff later, um, you know, if you want to keep your family intact, that's the other thing, like families being spread out and going just, you know, in different directions every weekend. You know, I think, you know, you start later, start if, if your kids are desperate to do um, competitive sports when they're in elementary school, all their friends are and, and they are really desperate. They're really, really into it and they're natural and they're good at it. You're not, it's really hard to be the parent that says, nope, we're not going to do that if you can afford it and you can find a way to manage it. So I wouldn't ever say don't do that. But I think that to the extent that, you know, depending on your child, if they're like a middle of the pack kind of athlete, they want to develop, they've got friends, but they're not like dying to play sports every minute. I would start later, you know, start the organized stuff later, wait until they can really take charge of it themselves so that it's not something mom and dad have to constantly manage because it's a big pain. There's a lot of paperwork and signing up and all of that. And like physically being like, we have to get out of the house now. I hate that. I we hate are going to be too. late. We're going to be late. Where's your water bottle? And they're like, I don't want to go. I mean, this is from my only experience with soccer and it was not positive. <laughs> I have a passage very similar to that with my daughter in my book. And, you know, she didn't want to go. She you know, she can't, we ended up at practice late, she tear stained face. And I'd be like, what are we doing this for? And that was it. That was it. And I, I guess I think if you still want to encourage movement, like, of course, you don't want to say, well, sports are terrible. So I'm, we're just going to prohibit them. I mean, obviously, that's not smart. You want them to be outside, you want them moving. I think um, encouraging just ordinary play, like you were talking about, Jennifer, like, get outside. That, that's what I used to always tell my kids, get outside. You figure it out when you get out there, but just get outside. And they would, and they would usually end up playing tag or dodgeball or something. And the best I didn't know about, you know, there's that starting later, um, having them be responsible for most of the signups. And then if they are wild about it, like that kid who is just desperate, then I think if you do the club stuff, you have to put boundaries around it. 
and say, well, okay, yes, Susie, you can do your travel club soccer, but you know, we are strict about, we don't, we don't go out on Sundays. You're not going to join a club that has us going in different directions on Sundays, say, or Friday nights are sacrosanct in our household. Like you have to put boundaries around it because it's a, just an enormous, um, it will vacuum up all your time. These programs will, will just absorb it. And honestly, they don't, they don't really care about your families. It's not like these are bad people running the programs. They're trying to like build strong teams. Their priority isn't your family. It's their, it's winning. It's having a record. It's like, you know, being able to brag about how many kids went to the next big club that got them to the next college. And I think it's incumbent on us parents to establish those boundaries ourselves and stick to them. And it isn't easy. The stages you women are at where you're like living it and everybody else is saying, uh, well, gosh, you know, you mean you haven't signed up yet or what sports are they doing? That was a question. I was like, what sports are you doing? It's like, mm, actually, they're going to art class after school or we're going to the we're going to a park. You know, that's what we're doing today. We didn't we we're, we opted out of that. The organized um organized sports this this part of time of year because we wanted to be together but it takes a lot of courage and backbone on the part of parents to resist it because it's it's dominant you know jen i think when we have those conversations with other parents we send them a link to this podcast and say linda said it was okay she said it was okay (laughs) to choose our family to put boundaries around it and to say this is as far as we're willing to go with it and our family and the cohesion in our family is more important it, it's it's so obvious you know honestly it's so obvious but when you're in the middle of it and it feels like you're going against the grain and also as a parent like what do you know i, I always felt this when I, my kids were little like what do i know how who am i to say my six-year-old shouldn't be playing soccer when every other kid is i mean what do i know and i think I also encourage parents like you guys, you younger parents, to talk to older parents who've been through this, who can say, look, that was just seemed way more important than it actually was. Like, we got way too invested. I have regrets. Like, what were we thinking? Which, again, I always want to say, it's not to, uh, to suggest that playing sports is bad or somehow kids shouldn't do it. They should. Sports are can be, in the right environment, really enriching. But the, you know, excessive, it's the excessiveness and the competitiveness at really young ages that is is generally not in their interest and not in the family's interest. Yeah, I think for me, Linda, I'm going to use that quote, like these clubs, they don't care about your family. And to me, that that like when you said that, I'm like, that really hits the nail on the head for me. Like they don't care. They want my kid to come to soccer practice three days a week because to your point, they get credit from kids who win, kids who complete. And I think... What it comes back to at the end of the day, I'm like, I want my kids to have a love for outside and Mm -hmm. moving their body. But at the end of the day, our family unit is what matters the most. And so I think like that's the point I'm going to take away from me is like, is this benefiting our family as a whole? Mm -hmm. Um, And for anybody who has more than one kid, both Kate and I each have two children. I also think about like, I don't want my husband driving one kid somewhere on Saturday and I'm driving the other kid somewhere else on Saturday. And that's our whole weekend. Mm -hmm. We're each taking a kid different directions. Maybe Sunday night, we finally have dinner together and get to go, well, how was your weekend? Because we didn't actually see each other um, as a family. And I think there's so much more stuff we can do at a low key basis to get outside and explore outside as a family together, whatever that family looks like. That's going to be so much more beneficial for our kids. Well, okay. So 
if you have to pause, because I have to find this quote in my book from a woman who has two kids. And now they're, they're her, her kids are now like my kid's age. So they're in their 20s. And what she said about it, she said, my regret now, one mother of two said, is that we didn't just do shit together, like go hiking, camping, wading in a river and other stuff as a family, instead of all piling into a car on Saturday to go to some idiotic soccer match. I'm like, <laughs> that's, that's it. it. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. And uh, for some kids, it won't be idiotic. They'll love soccer and it'd be great. But for many it's a struggle. They don't want to go. You don't want to be there. It's like, what are we doing this for? And you can't get the, reclaim that time, you know? I really love that perspective from somebody who can look back on it, you know, because like you say, we're kind of in the thick of it and we're still getting a lot of this from other parents, you know, <laughs> I'm doing this, I'm doing that. Yes. My child loves gymnastics. She's very good at it. I had this the other day with the mom and I was like, I hadn't even considered if my kid was good at anything yet. She's only five. <laughs> um, you know, Linda, one thing we like to sort of highlight when we're thinking about getting outside with kids is that it doesn't go perfectly and that that's okay. It's all kind of part of it. So, you know, with your the, when you're raising your three kids and also as a cross-country coach, there must have been times when things went badly wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, can you share some examples of some of those times when you went outside with your kids and it really didn't go according to plan? Hopefully everybody survived. Generally, there's sort yes. of stories we like to hear, but <laughs> yes. uh, maybe there are a few bumps and bruises along the way. Yes. I mean, I was always telling my kids to get outside. That was like, get outside, get outside. And they would often drag me out. So I would be outside with them. And there one time it was cold it was really a cold cold day and they wanted to go i decided that why don't we go ice skating and there was a pond not too far uh from our house that had been like cleaned up and was all you know had a zamboni or whatever go over it so it was clean and you could you could skate on it but it wasn't like a rink and somehow i don't know where we got the skates if we rented them or what because we didn't own them and we got out on the ice And when you're on a, no one can skate and there's no rail that you can like cling to. (laughs) It was just like, it was like a cartoon of like, you know, (laughs) scrambling and, oh, it was a nightmare. And we, I kept falling and they'd fall and then they were crying. And it was just like, this is a disaster, you know? And, you know, but we still talk about it, you know, (laughs) like remember that time we tried to ice skate and, um, you know, we're not skaters in our family, needless to say. (laughs) <laughs> you know, and I had many, many times as a as a running coach, and um, I should say running coaches have different philosophies on this. I think if you're a distance coach, which I am, so coaching girls to run 5Ks and miles and two miles, you have to do some decent amount of mileage. And so I, you know, we'd get outside and I was always like, you got to get outside. And sometimes the girls would say, I remember, you know, we're going to run in the rain. You know, and I'd be like, yeah, you got to be prepared. We're going to run in the rain. And just there was one time when it started to absolutely pour, just downpour on the girls run. And I was out there in my car and, you know, and you could say, well, that, that, that didn't work out so well. I sent them out and it started to pour. But afterwards, that at this, I just recall so clearly how happy they were that the girls, they were just sort of um, relishing how soaked and kind of exhausted they were. It was such a wonderful feeling that everybody had about having been outdoors in this rainstorm working really hard. And, you know, so that's a little bit of like the downside, but also like the the joy of being outside in the elements. And um, I had a lot of experiences like that. 
there's something very satisfying about that, right? Like, yeah, it's encouraging like encouraging to get out and do it, and like that's that building the resilience and the grit. But you know, it feels like a much lower pressure situation than going and playing a game of soccer. There's something about running cross country. I'm not really a, a cross country runner, but uh, something about running cross country that sounds sort of more grounded in nature than playing on like an artificial turf, playing soccer or something, right? It is <laughs> or well, worse, that's- hockey. <laughs> Exactly. I mean, that is one of the best things about it, that you really are out there in nature, you know, and there's, I think kids need that. I think kids need to be out in nature. Grownups need to be out in nature. And um, the other thing is you can't have your phone with you. So you're automatically off social media. You're off, you have to engage with people, you know, actual people, not their little image on a screen. So (laughs) there's just so much I, I, I've always been felt very strongly about the need to be out there outside doing it. And they've benefited so much. That's awesome. Linda, I feel like there have been so many amazing points today. Uh, For people who want to dive in and learn more and read your book, tell us again where we could find your book online. And of course, we're going to share those links in the show notes below. Sure. Well, um, it's my book can be bought anywhere, really. It's on Amazon and most bookstores, I think, have it. I also have a website. And you can order it through the website and it's lindaflanaganauthor.com. I'm on Twitter at lindaflanagan2 and I'm on Instagram, lindaflanagan underscore author. So any of those places you can reach me one way or another. Awesome. So fantastic. Thank you so much, Linda. I I feel really grateful to you that you, you're doing this work and this research because I imagine you got a lot of pushback from people being like, sports are fantastic. You cannot touch them. You cannot do, you know, and I think it's so important to step forward and say, this is actually not necessarily a great thing for our kids. Yeah. So thank you so much for coming on and sharing that perspective with us. I know that our listeners are going to get a lot out of it. Um, and I know Jen and I have already been thinking about the things we're saying. <laughs> That soccer club doesn't care about my family, Linda. It doesn't. They don't. So it is- <laughs> They're not bad people, but that's not, that's not their concern. It's not your family, you know? Well, it's my pleasure to be here. Thank you so much, Linda. So make sure you check out Linda's book, Take Back the Game. We're going to share that link in the show notes below. Um, Like I said, Linda tweets some pretty awesome stuff if you are on Twitter and I'm connected with Linda there. Um, Of course, make sure you're following us for all of your latest episodes of Get Outside with Kids. We publish weekly. Make sure you hit that subscribe button wherever you listen to podcasts to get notified for the next time we update. And if you've got a special guest or you want to be a guest yourself because you've got an interesting perspective to share on getting outside, uh, send us an email or DM us on Instagram at Get Outside with Kids. 